Hey, before we jump into this episode, I want to direct your attention to our Nothing is Wasted community groups. We started this platform because we were hearing from so many different people about how they were walking their valley or their pain journey alone. And they're reaching out, asking questions, wanting some advice, wanting some direction. And so we decided to start a platform for people to be able to walk with other people who are walking through the same type of valley as them. I know when I lost my late wife, Amanda, I wanted to talk to somebody else who had lost their spouse at a young age. I wanted to know there was life and hope on the other side of it. I wanted somebody else to give me advice and counsel on how to raise my son as a single dad, how to continue to move forward and heal and and, and maybe have a meaningful marriage again. I needed that hope and that guidance. And that's why we created Nothing Is Wasted Community Groups, so that you don't have to walk your valley alone. There are all kinds of people from all different walks of life, all different types of pain who have joined on these groups, a couple hundred of you so far. And we have groups for just about every type of valley that you could be walking through. We have groups for folks who have gotten a cancer diagnosis or, or caretakers of people who have gotten a cancer diagnosis. We have groups for folks who have lost young children or adult children who have lost a sibling, who have lost a spouse. We have groups for those who have gone through childhood trauma. We have groups for those who have been divorced, uh, who are struggling with marriage and infertility, who've lost a parent, survivors of sexual assault, or even for parents who are parenting kids with special needs and so many other groups. We're consistently adding more groups and more guides to these groups. You see, each group is equipped with one or more guides who are just a little bit further along in the journey as you, who are there to help facilitate the conversation and help to give you some encouragement and direction as you're moving forward through your pain. If you're interested in joining one of these Nothing Is Wasted community groups, just go to nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. And we'd love for you to join in on the conversation. We'd love to be a part of your journey and help you as you're living, learning, and leading through pain. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me are May guest co-host, Carissa Sprinkle. Hello, hello. Great to have you on again. If you guys haven't listened to Carissa and her husband Cameron's episode with us, you need to go and listen to their episodes 79 and 80. It's part of our sexual betrayal series. And we have an interview today with Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs, who also have their own story of uh, betrayal and, 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 um, infidelity and, um, such a powerful story. Mm -hmm. And then remarriage. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy story. Yes. Um, powerful one. And so we yeah. broke this out into two episodes. There's two parts uh, to this. And so you're going to get the first part now. And then the next part's going to release Monday, June 1st. So this coming Monday. Um, and you're going to want to make sure you listen to both of these. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so glad they came back and did, did the second part. Well, it, speaking of, I thought this was very appropriate for their story their episodes for us to talk about um, a question that we received. Again, we're going to answer some questions that you guys write in. So if you have a question that's been burning on your heart, you want us to answer those questions, hello at nothingiswasted.com. We're going to try this out, 
try to use some of the intro portions to answer questions and add value to you and um, help to um, uh, just help you as you're trying to live, learn, and lead through your your pain right now. So this is the question that we received. Someone actually wrote in after your episode, Carissa, yeah. after your episode released, mm. uh, should we forgive somebody immediately? Should we forgive the second we come to realize that we have been wronged or discover we have been betrayed, um, a loved one killed, et cetera? I understand that God commands us to forgive and that if we don't, it's like poison inside of us that leads to bitterness mm-hmm. and resentment. However, I can't reconcile telling a woman or a man for that matter who's just learned of infidelity in her marriage that she is called to forgive the second she learns about it. Very interesting question. I'd love to hear your take on that, it is, Carissa. It's, it's really, really good. And it's a, it's a really hard one, a tricky one. But um, based on just what I've seen and gone through myself personally, um, I completely get what the Bible is saying about forgiveness and the importance of it. I think that um, forgiveness is not the result of healing. It's the means to healing. And I think we do get that mm. confused frequently. Um, so I am... I'm the forgiveness is truly what has brought peace to my situation personally. And so I heavily believe in the power of it and the necessity of it. However, I also um, know that when any of these scenarios that you just listed out is involved, there's also usually trauma involved. And um, the brain goes through so many different things before it can even process correctly or appropriately in those situations. It goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And so if a person is still bleeding, and and I say bleeding, I mean completely traumatized, just initial, this just happened in their situation, and they immediately choose to forgive without fully understanding what they're choosing, Mm -hmm. I don't believe they'll actually reap the fruit of what forgiveness is supposed to do. So that is why I think there has to just be a period where um, if it's, if it's pushed too quickly, it can overlook the trauma and essentially communicate. Yeah, kind of like a latency period almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A way to just return to a a normal or slash healthier state of mind Mm. where they can process through that. Because I think that, and I've seen this happen with women I've been in group with or worked with. Um, and it's been a really damaging thing, which is why I addressed it on my episode, um, is that when we push it too quickly in, and especially mm. in the betrayal situation, what it communicates to a person in this state is that their trauma is not important to God. And wow. it can just do more damage mm. in a way to where when they are finally returned to a healthy state of mind where they can make a decision like this, they are actually um, less inclined to because they're they feel like God doesn't care about their pain mm. and physical seeing it on a physical level always helps. So I always think of it almost like a car accident. I guess if someone just got hit by the car, they're bleeding on the road. We don't, nobody would walk over there and immediately right. before tending to their wounds, before giving them surgery, before returning them to a state of, um, entering into healing, they wouldn't say you need to forgive that driver right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah. that's just the way that I see it and have experienced it is, um, getting to a healthy state of mind and yeah. you can't measure that exactly. There's right. urgency with that, with forgiveness right. for sure. But, um, right away 
it's it's really difficult with all the trauma. Yeah, that's good. That's really good, Carissa. And I think it's so complicated because you forgiveness is something that is going to be a continual thing. You know, you're going to yes. have to choose forgiveness daily. And so mm-hmm. there are going to be continually some new things that continue to they, that crop up mm-hmm. that you have to go, okay, you know, when I when I extended forgiveness that last time, I didn't realize. So I'm going to have to maybe enter into this and extend it again. Yes. So there is going to be a continuation of this process. But I do think it is really important to not diminish the gravity of what has happened. Mm-hmm. Right. I think you really have to, I think it, otherwise forgiveness is trite. Mm-hmm. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's, you're just kind of like just whitewashing mm-hmm. this, this offense or this thing that took place. I think forgiveness and, and offense are not mutually exclusive. You got to really right. lean into the offense and and understand the gravity of what's gone on in order to truly step into forgiveness. Yeah, I don't think Jesus. Jesus, and I think we can always take our cues from Jesus, right? Like, yeah. Jesus did not minimize the offense of the cross. No, 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 no. Right? Like mm-hmm. we, like he enters into it fully. He dives into that suffering, and it was toward the end of that. When he, when he really experienced fully the suffering of the cross, the injustice that was done to him right there, mm-hmm. this perfect God-man, the only innocent person who's ever walked the earth, right? So if we, so we can talk about in, injustice. I know we talked about this last episode, but the only real injustice that has ever happened, right? Like this perfect innocent person mm-hmm. is brutalized and put on a murderer's cross. Mm-hmm. That's injustice right there. Well, he he feels it fully, and at the end, he offers and extends forgiveness. That makes that offering of forgiveness so valuable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Because, because the, the full gravity of it was felt. And so I think as human beings, what we have to do is we have to consistently walk in um, a an expectation that there's going to be a fence in our life that is handed to us, mm-hmm. an expectation that we are going to be disappointed, and we walk in this this like okay, I'm going to just walk in forgiveness, but I'm not just going to let this like forgiveness thing be this trite blanket I throw over any situation that happens to me, without first really understanding and and so. How do yeah. you quantify that from a time standpoint? I don't know how you quantify that from a time standpoint. And that's where I think counselors and guides come in who can, yeah. who know when to challenge you, but they also know when to just care yeah. for you and, and acknowledge your trauma. And you're right. Yeah. It's always evolving. And I always think of it like a bomb goes off and you don't just forgive for the initial explosion. There's shrapnel that mm. goes everywhere and a hundred yeah. pieces of shrapnel buried under your skin that'll kill you too. So it's like you have wow. to go through and forgive for each piece of shrapnel and the damage that that's doing also. So there is consequences that come that's down really the good. road. That's a great parallel. And wow. I believe that's why he said 70 times seven, because he knew yeah. way better than we ever would that it's going to keep, mm. keep coming and Man, that's that'll so good. save us. Wow. So great question. Thanks for writing that Such in. A good if question. you have your questions, Hello at nothingiswasted.com. We'd love to answer your questions and add value to your life in that way. And if you would, would you add value to us and to other people by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes? This really helps to uh, gain this podcast some exposure. It helps it to climb in the charts, so to speak. And really the only reason we'd want that to happen is so that more and more people can hear these truly life-changing stories and they can 
they can have hope and encouragement from people who are um, bringing testimony of how God is good in the midst of really difficult situations. So go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It encourages us. And while you're there, um, we would love for you to uh, engage with us on Instagram. Nothing is wasted ministries. So whether that means mentioning us or uh, kind of sharing this and tagging us, uh, following Nothing is Wasted Ministries. We do some behind-the-scenes stuff and do some giveaways every once in a while of books and resources, um, different products and, and services that we also provide. So we'd love for you to engage with us there. Yeah. Nothing is Wasted Ministries. And we know that uh, there's just so many more stories out there, so many stories that we haven't mm-hmm. gotten to read or share that would really help other people. So um, we have this platform now, nothingiswasted.com slash stories, where we're featuring other stories. So if you have yeah. a story um, that we aren't able to get onto the podcast, you can email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. Um, or if you have suggestions from anyone else that you want to be featured, um, that's just a great place to do that. So we would love to hear your story and still be able to share that and help other people with it. So um, yeah, well, let's dive into this interview with Jeff and Cheryl. Jeff, Cheryl, great to have you guys on the podcast. It's great to be here. We are so excited to be on. Well, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I want to dive into your story because it's it's quite involved and it's an amazing story. I want to make sure we get to the end because that's the best part. <laughs> so um, let's. why don't you do this? Start out by just telling us a little bit about you guys right now. Just give us a context for the Scruggs family right now. Scruggs family? Well, Cheryl and I are in a, uh, have a marriage ministry called Hope Matters Marriage Ministries, and we meet with couples during the week to encourage them in their marriage. And we have a podcast. Cheryl has Throbbing Beyond Belief that she invites me on about once every two months to do a marriage podcast. And um, we travel a little bit, speak on the weekends, at, mostly at churches and at other type you know, marriage retreats, that kind of a event. We live in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And we have two grown daughters that are 31 years old. We have twins and they're both married. So we have uh, one living here and the other one uh, lives in LA. And then we have two granddaughters, which we just are loving every minute of that. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about us. That's awesome. Both of, both of them live here as well. I don't know if I'd say loving every minute, but I particularly don't care about changing diapers, but Cheryl does. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I am right in the throes of that right now. We have, a, uh, at the time of this recording, a five-week-old at home. And so we are changing oh, wow. diapers, you know, six and seven times a day. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you guys have this incredible ministry to uh, to couples and marriages, and this has come and been birthed out of your story. And uh, mm-hmm. it's quite a unique story, an incredible story as well. So why don't you take us back and take us down the road of uh, what God's done in your life? Yeah, golly, it's been a it's been a long road. Mm. We uh, met in 1981 in Memphis, Tennessee. I was in college playing golf for Memphis State, and Jeff was there working, and I was putting myself through school. And we met, we actually met in a bar, and that's where I um, was a waitress. And I was actually engaged when I met Jeff, but I saw him walk in the door, and I thought, "Who in the world is that?" And I wasn't looking for someone else. I just was like, wow. And so he, oh, he sat in my section and uh, he started to flirt with me a bit. And he asked me out by the end of the night and I said no. 
And I... But I'm in sales, so I don't take no for an answer. So I came back the following Friday night, sat in her section again, flirted with her all night, asked her out again. And this time she said yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we dated for about a year. Uh, I graduated from school and uh, Jeff was in sales, like he said, and, and um, I went away for training and came back after three weeks of training. And Jeff took me to dinner, one of our favorite spots. And he said, I have good news and bad news. And the good news, I mean, the bad news, I, he said, what do you want first? And I said, I guess the bad, you know, and he said, well, I've gotten transferred to LA and um, the good news is, and then the waitress came out with a box and he asked me to marry him. I got that on my knee. He man. got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the proper way. Yeah. So of course I said yes. And uh, we got married in two months. Uh, we planned a wedding in eight weeks, which was pretty crazy. My mom thought I was pregnant and uh, ended up moving to LA and just started living that life out there. And um, you know, we just kind of had the world by the tail at that point in time. And we were in our mid twenties. Uh, both of us were in sales at that point. And, you know, it looked like we had the perfect life, um, ocean view home money. We were kind of successful. What we did, people called us Barbie and Ken and a lot of told us later on in life that they wanted our life. And, uh, anyway, for me, about two years in, I started to feel really lonely in the marriage and, couldn't figure it out really. I'm the oldest of five. I was thinking there was something wrong with me that I'm a type A perfectionist and that, you know, I just needed to fuck up and forget that, you know, I was feeling the way I, I was feeling. So I never talked to Jeff about it. Um, we had plenty of sex. And so that wasn't an issue. And I thought, well, you know, what's wrong with me? So I carried that along with me for many, many years. Um, Jeff and I rarely fought. Um, and, uh, eight years into the marriage, just to make a really long story, a little bit short, eight years into the marriage, I was talking to someone that I worked with. I was at a sales meeting in Florida. And, um, uh, by the end of the evening, I felt like my heart had been, had been stolen by someone and ended up having a full blown affair with this man. Um, went back to Dallas. Nothing happened at that meeting other than talking. But when I got back to Dallas, um, Dallas. I mean, LA started to, um, call this guy from my office. This was back in 1990. And we didn't have cell phones or any of the social media forums or to communicate on. And so we started talking on landlines from our offices. And that led to him coming down to LA. He lived in, in Northern California. And we met at a hotel and it became physical. So it was a, a full-blown affair. From that point, that very same month, which was April of 1990, uh, Jeff found out we were moving to Dallas. We had twin daughters at that point in time when we moved. They were two years old, so we came here. And I thought, you know, I had to kind of get my act together. And I had told Jeff in LA that I wasn't happy and I never thought I loved him. And he couldn't figure it out because it looked like we had the perfect life. And he thought we had the perfect marriage. Right. And uh, so I got here and just tried to white knuckle it and um, try to work on the marriage in my own mind. I really wasn't giving Jeff a lot of, uh, I don't know. I just didn't give him the time of day much. I was pretty angry. And um, it just manifested into basically the issue in our marriage. Two, two major things. One was an emotional connection, a heart connection. The second was our spiritual life together, which we had virtually none together. 
So we were both raised in different environments. Um, I was raised Catholic. He was raised uh, Baptist. We didn't talk about spiritual things. When Jeff and I met, he wasn't walking a walk with Jesus, and I didn't know there was one. Mm. And so basically what ended up happening is uh, I had missed this emotional connection with this guy and started talking to him from Dallas, which then led me to file for divorce in 1990, and I divorced Jeff in 1992. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, there's there's so much more to the story, obviously, but I want to kind of camp right here and, and you know, kind of dig in a little bit more. The two things you said, Cheryl, was that you were lacking an emotional connection um, as well as a spiritual connection. Now, mm-hmm. you guys, you do a lot of work with couples. And so if we kind of pull out of your story for a second, do you find that that to be uh, pretty characteristic of a lot of couples that you work with, especially ones who are struggling um in their marriage? And do you find those two things to be interconnected at all, the spiritual and emotional connections there? Well, we definitely find those two two issues to be a problem in a lot of marriages that we work with. And, you know, it's interesting how, you know, I like to tease with Cheryl that a lot of us men come emotionally unassembled and and we need (laughs) help. Like, honestly, she would say things to me like, I don't even know you. And I would say, what do you want to know about me? Just ask me a question, you know, and I'll answer it. <laughs> but what she was wanting or seeking was a heart to heart connection. And um, that's, you know, it was missing. But a big part of that heart to heart connection comes through our um, spiritual journey, you know, and, you know, especially today and that we're, we're both close to the Lord. We have our own independent relationship with Christ. And then our, we have one together, the two of us. And so, yes, in the sense that they are related that way, we see that in many of the couples that come through our door. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, when you take a look at uh, John 10, 10, and the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy, and I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. You know, God created marriage. He created relationships. He created sex. He created connection. And so God wants us to have an abundant life. Doesn't mean perfect. It means abundant. So spiritually abundant, emotionally abundant, physically abundant, both non-sexual and sexual. And then, you know, maybe you'll have money. I don't know. I mean, money is not really part of the abundance, but a lot of people take that verse and look at it as a financial thing when really God is talking about a rich uh, relationship. Um, he's the one that created it. Hmm. I, I want to I get back to some of that emotional connection, especially Jeff, from uh, the standpoint of how to uh, help men just begin to open up. And because I feel like there's a lot of women are most naturally wired to emotionally connect and to yeah, have that kind yes. of heart level thing. And men, we're not, you said <laughs> we come unassembled. And, and so the, how do you guys help, especially Jeff, as you're working with men, how do you help them to begin to initiate and lead the way in that to create that foundation for their marriage? Right. Right. Well, you know, so for me, I'll, I'll give you a little backdrop. I didn't learn how to emotionally connect with my mother. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why it was so foreign to me. I mean, I had what I would have considered at the time a great relationship with her, but, you know, she didn't really emotionally connect. So there where I never learned how to do that. So it's really helping them realize that there, first off, that there is such thing as emotional connection. And then you know, the way I learned most of it was through counseling or having Cheryl actually ask me questions that were deeper, more probing. And then also it's just my understanding later in life of the scriptures 
in First Peter 3, 7, where it talks about living with your wife in an understanding way, treating her as the weaker vessel, yet join heirs in the kingdom of God. And living with her in an understanding way is like trying to get a PhD in Cheryl, everything, you know, trying to know everything I can about her. And she's really deep emotionally. So it's starting to learn how to use emotional words, like talk with emotion, you know, speak to her like what you just said right now hurt me or what you said right now, you know, really makes me excited, what, whatever it is. And starting to use some of that and understand what that means. Mm. Do you like to add to that? Well, and then also I think, um, and this isn't a Christian book, but it's an excellent book um, in regards to emotional connection. And a counselor friend of ours here in Dallas uh, told us about it. Um, and it's called uh, The Emotionally Unavailable Man. And so the book is interesting because the front of it says uh, emotionally unavailable man for men up in the writing corner. And when you flip it over, it says the emotionally unavailable man for women in the other corner. And what it says when, if you start, which most women do, which is what I did, is you start on the woman's side. And what it says right out of the gate is if you're reading this as the woman, you need to turn it over and read the part about the men first. And, you know, I kind of want to make a little bit of a disclaimer. It doesn't mean that every single man is emotionally unavailable. I think it's just more that God made women to connect emotionally first and men to connect physically first. And so, you know, I think there's just a lot there in just understanding, you know, let me just flip it over. I think what I deal with with women a lot of times is women not being interested in sex or I don't have a sex drive or that's not that important or he needs it. So that's why I have sex with my husband. It, it's, it's, God wants us to be rich in all these areas. So it's really each of us teaching the other what that looks like. And I, I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal in my 20s. I didn't grow up in a home that was emotionally connected. I was really, I feel like blessed to be able to even understand a bit of that um, early on in our first marriage, just because I just had a, you know, an instinct about it. And I knew that we needed to be closer than just, you know, we look good on the outside and we, you know, make a lot of money and we have a lot of sex. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, there's more to it. Yeah. But I think it's as a how-to, like what helped me was actually sitting down and investing time with Cheryl to communicate. And it was me sitting across a small table at a coffee shop that she had asked me to go with her to. And the first time she asked me to do this, I was so afraid. I would have told you I'd rather stick needles in my eyes than do that. And I was, I mean, I was sweating. In fact, by the time <laughs> we got to the coffee shop, I was wet. And, um, you know, it was sitting across the table and listening to her, looking in her eyes and listening to her and not trying to formulate what I was going to say next, but really think about what she was saying to me. And, and, and sometimes for me, it's helpful that after she's finished saying what it is that she wants to say to me, is for me to try to repeat it back to her in my own words, make sure I understood her and then check to see if I understood her. And a lot of times when I check to see if I understood her, she'll say, no, that's not what I meant at all. And, but, but many times she'll say, yeah, you're on the right track, but, and then just force myself to go a little deeper, you know, to really like, okay, let me think about that. And, you know, it's so interesting. Cause like, 
you know, we have two daughters too. And so they've, they've also helped me because, you know, I grew up as a boy. So I grew up, you know, you fall down, you just brush it off and keep going. You know, if you're out on the sports field, you get hurt, you play through your injury. That's just the way you're taught as a boy, but little girls are taught and raised in a different way. And so, and really just learning how to care for her heart and nurture her heart and pursue it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm still learning, by the way. <laughs> I haven't reached that <laughs> pinnacle yet. As we all are. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about how, I mean, how important that's been in, in my marriage now, just learning to listen and reflect and stop before I try to add some kind of a, oh, well, here, let me fix this situation or here, let me just offer this thing up because yeah. I most of the time totally misunderstand what she's trying to say to me. I'm not really, really getting underneath what she's trying to communicate. And so I think that's super, super helpful, Jeff. I can't gloss over the fact, though, that in 1992, you guys were divorced. Right. Yes. And now you're sitting here in front of me, and you're not only together, thriving, and but you're also helping other marriages thrive. You got to tell me what happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when we, when we moved to Dallas, I did everything I could to get Cheryl. I was fighting for the marriage, so I did everything I could to get her to go to counseling and get the help we needed. And she just wasn't having it. And so she plowed through with the divorce. And, and then after our divorce, you, could, you should probably should pick up the story here. What happened to you after the divorce? Well, I think what's important here also is, one, we weren't walking a walk with Jesus. And so that I'll tell you about that in a second. But the second is, Jeff didn't know that I was having an affair. I, I was scared to death to admit that and... and um, you know, really share it with him because, and, and back then for me, it was more about, I was, I was afraid that, cause I had put up this persona of being perfect. And so I was afraid one, I would look, you know, weak in his eyes. Number two, of course I was hurting him and he didn't even realize what was going on. Um, and then I was just afraid he was going to take my kids somehow. I, I don't know. And which is so not yeah. true, but I didn't know that. So I was petrified. And there were so many times that I wanted to share with him what was truly going on. And I didn't do that. And the reason I say that and tell that right here in this interview is because if you're dealing with something like that, if any of your listeners are, you know, living the secret life and deception and everything is to tell the truth and be honest. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that go on in the last you know, 15, 18 years as we work with couples and encouraging them to tell the truth. And when the truth comes out, then you have a great chance of really reconciling or whatever. So when we divorced in August 2, we had been going to church those first couple of years together for the first time in our marriage. And what was going on for me is that my heart was really being um, sought after by the Lord. And I didn't get what was going on because I didn't study the Bible growing up. I didn't know there was a walk with Jesus. I knew about Jesus and I knew he had died for our sins, but I didn't understand the whole relationship thing because I wasn't taught that. Jeff was taught that. And, you know, just, we just didn't live that in, in our, in the marriage. And so I started going to a different church and I was hearing the gospel over and over and over. And I kept thinking, what is this gospel thing? And then singing worship songs. And I was in a very vulnerable church where people were, would share their issues and be really vulnerable about their lives. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never done any of this. And so long story short, two months after divorce was final, what I realized is that uh, Jeff and I had some real issues in our marriage 
but the other issue was the fact that I didn't know Christ and I was saved two months after our divorce was final. Mm. And that was in October of 1992. And so basically what was happening along that way is I started a full-blown relationship with this other guy. He was coming to Dallas. I was going out there and we were walking to a place of, remember, I was, I've been on the phone with him for two years. Okay. Thinking I'm in, this is how deceived I was thinking I was in love with someone else by talking on the telephone. I mean, it's, you know, he wasn't here. I wasn't there. And so then um, I was studying my Bible. I had, you know, I was in my early thirties and some friends of mine, girlfriends were telling me, teach how to read the Bible, how to understand, you know, Jesus, how to pray. They told me to get a journal and start, you know, journaling my prayers. I'm like, I didn't even know what they were talking about at first. So I did start doing that. And by the end of the year of 1992, I was sitting in my chair one day and it was as if I wasn't writing uh, on my paper. And when I looked down at it, it said, I want you to pursue reconciliation of your marriage. Mm. And I literally was so mad. I shut my journal. I went and got another cup of coffee. And I said, God, I am so sorry, but I will never do that ever. <laughs> and so um, I, I literally, you know, I couldn't even hardly sit back in that chair for a couple of days. But what started to happen is God was softening my heart and showing me, and he showed me another particular way. I went to a Bible study in January of 1993 by uh, a guy named Tommy Nelson. And he used to teach live here in Dallas, which was so awesome that he was here, uh, the Song of Solomon. I didn't know what the Song of Solomon was, but I had friends of mine telling me I should go to this Bible study. So I I go to this huge church here in Dallas, and there are 4,000 people there at least. And I thought, is this what Bible study is? Like, I didn't even understand. And so for six weeks, Tommy Nelson would come out and teach on the Song of Solomon on Monday nights. And I finally put it all together that God was pursuing me. He was also wanting me to pursue reconciliation because he wanted Jeff and I to have a second chance. Mm. And so what that led to basically was me writing Jeff a letter, took me a couple months to write it. And I asked him if I could come over and uh, talk to him for a minute. And he said, well, if it's not about the kids, I don't, we don't have anything to talk about. And I said, can you just give me 10 minutes? And he said, I guess, I mean, we live five minutes. We did the visitation stuff really well with the girls, although it was so painful all the time. But um, I went over to his home and I said, I have something I want to read. If you don't mind, don't interrupt me. And, you know, you can say something at the end. And so I read this 16 page letter and he thought it was going to be 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you told me. That's what I told him. (laughs) And, 16 pages. Do yeah. the math, man. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the end of the letter, I said, uh, you know, basically the letter was about repenting for all the things I had done wrong in the marriage. And God had led me to write the letter that way because I didn't even know what repentance was before this time. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, I said, Jeff, I've become a Christian and I feel like God wants us to have a second chance at our marriage and try to pursue reconciliation. And so when I looked up from, from reading, he had tears running down his face and I thought, oh my gosh, God has him on the same page too. I mean, he had fought for the marriage. Of course, he's going to want to do this. And 
No, <laughs> no, I was really frustrated with her in that, first of all, that she was taking so much time. And, you know, I was so angry with her at this point because I had only known about the, you know, I found out about the, the affair, the adultery about three months after the divorce. And so when I found out first, there was re great relief. At least I know she wasn't like crazy, like mentally crazy. But, um, you know, then I just started angry and started going back and replaying the last two or three years of my life. What was she doing when we were doing this? What was she thinking about when we were doing this? And so it was just really hard for me to get over it. However, I had started, you know, working with the high school youth at my church. And, you know, at first it was like a year of just like control. And then about after a year, the youth pastor asked me to teach the guys. And he wanted me to take them through a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. And as I would read that book to deliver it to those high school kids, God started really showing me, Jeff, it wasn't so much what you did in the marriage. It was more about what you didn't do and more how I had not led my wife and my daughters, you know, spiritually and uh, just been that covering for Cheryl. And I, so it, I really did start softening my heart towards the whole thing. Mm. So you're here in this conversation, Cheryl, you look over at Jeff and he's tears in his eyes. What, what happened next? Yeah. You know, he said, Cheryl, it'll never happen. Don't ever talk to me about it again. We'll do fine with the kids. And basically I walked out the front door very confused because I was a brand new Christian and I thought this is how God works. And this mm. is how, what God had laid on my heart. And yeah. so I was a very confused about all that. And so I went home the very next day I got back up in my chair, because I had this chair that I sat in for so long, I still do the same thing today, 27 years later, but I was, I didn't know what to do with that. And so basically God showed me to not give up on that and that he did lay it on my heart. And I was reading Christian books on marriage. I was reading the Bible on marriage. And, uh, and so I just started to pray about reconciliation and to give you just a, you know, so it's not so long because it's a long period of time. But anyway, so we're five years divorced now. Um, God just had me praying it. And people ask me all the time, well, golly, I mean, five years, how'd you do that? And, wow. you know, the reality is I gave up a lot. Our pastor, Matt Chandler's interviewed us times. And he asked me one time on stage, he said, you, you know, um, I'm sure you just were lolly, 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 you know, just pursuing reconciliation. And um, did you ever give up? And I said, mm. Matt, I gave up at least 200 times mm. because it was very difficult. But by year five, um, you know, I would try to move on and then God would put me back in my place. Um, and I noticed that Jeff was softening. And so I wrote him another letter. <laughs> I didn't read it to him this time. I, I actually sent it to him. Didn't know if he had received it. And I just said, Jeff, you know, neither of us have remarried. I know God wants us to put our family back together. Would you please consider it? Um, and can we talk about it or whatever? And he didn't really respond for about three or four months. I didn't even, I didn't even know he got it. So um, basically what started to happen is Jeff was softening. And he was realizing, because he, you know, when we went to each other's homes, like he would walk in my home and I would walk in his. And I guess he noticed that I had a Bible out all the time and, you know, that I was reading these books and he'd never seen me that way. And, he, and just by, you could probably talk to this, but you saw a change. Yeah. Yeah. It's obvious. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. And for me, what was so hard about it was I had talking about before the divorce, mm-hmm. you know, I had my wife, beautiful daughters. And so what was so hard for me during the divorce period, those first five years was I would feel so lonely and so sad when I didn't have the kids. And so it was like I was on this high when I had them and just de- depressed low when I didn't have them. And I would lay in bed at night, many times myself to sleep, but I, I did have the wherewithal to know to pick up my Bible and start reading it. And, um, you know, and I came Proverbs, a passage that I had memorized as a child back in Sunday school, probably, or vacation Bible school, you know, Proverbs three, five, and six, where it says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and always acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I felt like what the Lord was showing me was Jeff, you've been doing it your way now for 37 years. It's time to get out of the way and submit your life to me. And that's really when things started turning around and I was softening up and it was, you know, undeniable that Cheryl was changing and you could see real heart change. And the fact is God had been doing a lot of work on my heart as well. So in year six, we started going out on dates as a family and mainly, mainly because that was because of my fear. You know, I was afraid. I'm like, you know, I was afraid of her a little bit. He didn't want to like me again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, but I did. I knew it was the right thing as far as, you know, the whole Bible, there's a threat of reconciliation through the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, we would, we would go out on dates with the kids and, you know, uh, but then finally we went on a date, just the two of us. Do you remember what we did? Babe? Yeah. We went ice skating and we mm-hmm. went ice skating because I was afraid to get locked into that one-on-one conversation, <laughs> eyeball to eyeball. And so I was controlling the outcome by having something physical to do, you know, some, yeah. But anyhow, and it went really well. And so what happened? Yeah. So that next half of that year, so now we're at six and a half years divorce, about halfway through that year, I was just like, okay, (laughs) I've been doing this for six and a half years. I, I don't know what else he needs to know. And so I was very tethered to the Lord and just trying to do everything that the Lord was showing me, not my own, you know, control or trying to make my outcome be what I wanted it to be. And so finally I had prayed about it so much and I was like, Lord, is it okay if I ask him what he's waiting on? Because Mm. I can't figure it out. I mean, we were given the girls hope. I mean, they were 10 by now and you know, it was just kind of the thing that they prayed about all the time. They, they were the parent trap kids for real. And they, uh, anyway, so I finally, I felt like Jesus was like, okay, you, you can ask them that question. And so they were out, you know, they were gone for camp. And I, I just said, you know, Jeff and I were going out some and I just got the courage to ask him. And so I said, Jeff, you know what, you know, we've been dating pretty much a year and a half, but at half a year, just you and I, and uh, I don't want to give the kids hope if there's none. And I, I just can't understand what you're waiting on. So, I mean, what is it? And um, he just said to me, Cheryl, how do I know you're not going to do the same thing again? Mm. And, you know, I sat there and I know I had changed and I knew in my heart, you know, but what, what was right. And I knew I wouldn't do that but how do you promise another human being you're not going to fail him? I mean, I didn't plan on failing him the first time. I'd never thought about affairs. I mean, that was just so not, not me. And so he's, you know, I just sat there for a second. I, I don't even know how to respond to this. And God gave me the perfect words. He said, um, you know, this is what I said to Jeff. Jeff, this isn't about you. Mm. This isn't even about our marriage. 
about God and I never want to disappoint God again. Mm. And so that's when Jeff. Yeah. And I had already been thinking about, you know, the idea of remarriage. And so in the Lord had given me a passage, second Corinthians five seventeen, and it said in Christ, your new creation, the old is gone and the new is come. And, and I could see that in Cheryl. In fact, I could see it myself. So the girls were away to camp that week in Sky Ranch, East Texas. And, um, we decided to get remarried. And so we pick them up the following Saturday at camp. And I told them they're 11 now. It really so was 11 like year old daughter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we pick them up at camp and I, I tell them when they get in the car, I said that your mom and I have a surprise for you when we get home, but we're not going to tell you till we get home. Well, it was, it's an hour and a half drive. So for them, it seemed like it was like a half a day. Um, they were asking me every five minutes, come on, daddy, tell me what it is. And I'm like, I'm not going to say it till we get home. So we finally get home. We walk into my kitchen and I, while you were gone, your mom and I decided to get remarried. And Brittany just buckled at the knees and started crying. Mm. And Lauren was running around the house going, is it for real? Is it for real? And we're going, yeah, it's for real. So we got married uh, about a month and a half later in Colorado, up in the mountains of Colorado. And um, that's yeah. been 20 years ago, 20 years ago wow. this year. Yeah. Wow. This year, yeah. Man, this year, congratulations. October 3rd. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Golly, that's an incredible, I mean, unbelievable. First of all, that, you know, the time frame that you guys, as, as long as you guys were divorced and as long as Cheryl, you waited patiently trusting in this promise that God had, had given you trusting in, you know, this idea of reconciliation, that's just that's incredible to me. And you hear so many stories of, you know, people who get divorced and then they give up after yeah. uh, oh, they're yeah. looking for reconciliation, but they give up after a couple of years even, you know, that, and, and why not? You would think, man, after a couple of years of not seeing reciprocity, this has got to be uh, a dead end. Um, and yeah. yet, you know, Galatians 6, 9, you're holding on to that, whether you realize it or not, that, that yeah. do not grow weary in well-doing for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Give up. Incredible. Well, <laughs> right. the, the thing that comes out to me predominantly as you guys are sharing this is this idea of your heart being softened and being mm-hmm. willing to get vulnerable with each other, which is the scariest thing to do in a situation like what you guys were both right. in. And it's the thing that, you know, most divorced couples or struggling couples, they begin to guard their hearts. They begin to callous up and kind of armor up. And yet you guys found yourself having to take a risk to mm-hmm. soften it. Can you speak to this, the idea of just this, con, like a contrite heart, a softened heart and how important that is in really any marriage, but especially in reconciliation? Well, I think, you know, your marriage, well, first of all, there's no perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, God wants us to work hard at this and he wants us to be servants in our marriage. He wants us to um, have softened hearts mm. because, you know, it's easy just in everyday life to harden your heart on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, it could be, you know, he doesn't wipe the counter off. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, but I, and so I think it's this idea of first understanding that God created this and it's extremely um precious. And as uh, a Christian to honor what God has given us. Mm. And so when, you know, you both are, one of the things that works 
well, we know is that when each one of us is pursuing our own um, uh, relationship with Christ, and then we can, from learning from that is then pouring into this relationship, Mm. it causes us to have softened hearts. And when your heart's hard, I think, you know, really trying to know each other, we're on the same team. Um, And then also understanding your family of origin, you've got to understand what you've brought in, or traumas in your life and how that affects things. Mm. And so that's what I would say, part of it. Yeah. And for me, I, I would say it was understanding how much really getting to the point where I understood how much Jesus loved me. And when I got to that point, I, I, it was easy for me to forgive Cheryl when I understood how much he had forgiven me for. Mm. And really, for the first time, I feel like in, up until that point in my life, I had been living out my parents' faith. And that's when I feel like I owned it for myself and that the Lord was really pursuing me. And I understood the price he paid for me. Mm. So then I could see all. I had done and you know, forgive Cheryl and, and, and just love her because I could now love Christ. Mm-hmm. And I was so overwhelmed with the love he had for me that um, I wanted to be obedient to him. Yeah. Wow. Feeling like I had to be. Yeah, exactly. Man, guys, it's it, just an unbelievable story. I wish we had more time. We could, I feel like we could unpack the last 20 years and the things that uh, yeah. you guys have learned through this process and now what you help other people with. And I just think it's an incredible redemption story to hear now that this is what you guys are spending your life doing. And that's helping other marriages to thrive and helping other people see that you know, no relationship, no situation, no circumstances beyond repair. You guys are living testimony of that. Um, yeah. And so just incredible. Thank you so much for spending some time and sharing with our audience this story. We Again, we're going to have to have you guys back on. We can do like a part two, bring you back on, Let's talk about it. the last 20 years, you know? Let's spend, it'd be so fun to unpack this because I think you guys have so much that you could just help resource folks who are struggling uh, in our audience with, you know, in marriage or, or divorce or whatever. So, but you just thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. That. Well, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Gosh, yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Where can our where can our audience uh, follow what you guys are doing? Is there a way they can connect with you guys more? Yeah. So our website is www.jeffandcherylscruggs. Uh, it's A-N-D, Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs.com. And then our Instagram is at Cheryl Scruggs. That's where we house the marriage stuff, uh, the podcast, and even some personal stuff, you know, just with our grandbabies and that kind of thing. Jeff has his Instagram, but he doesn't ever post. <laughs> so um, we've got, uh, of course, Facebook. It's a guy thing. Yeah. We have Facebook, uh, Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. Uh, uh, it's a page that we have. People can just communicate on there. I have a private women's group on Facebook. It's called For Women Only um, with Cheryl Scruggs, Thriving Beyond Belief. My podcast is thrivingbeyondbelief.com. Have some great guests on there, some really good wisdom uh, from a lot of people. So that's really a fun thing. And um, I think that's it, right? And then we do, you know, we have, we do our counseling in, in our counseling offices here in Dallas, but we also do a good percentage of counseling via Zoom or, you know, from the, um, from that type of thing, either Skype or Zoom or whatever. So all across the the nation. That's awesome. Well, I encourage everybody who's listening to this right now, get connected to the Scruggs, everything that they're doing. Um, And if you need 
help. If you are in this situation where you found yourself and you're trying to figure out the next step to take when it comes to reconciliation for your marriage, absolutely get in touch with the stuff that uh, that they're providing there, the resources there they have on their sites. But guys, thank you so much again for joining me on this. Thank you too. Wow, that was just really, really powerful. What a story. What a unique story. Yeah, seriously. Like seven years, seven years of being separated, divorced, and then reconciliation happening from that. Yeah, and already remarried for 20. I'm like, I can't even quite wrap my head around all of that. That tells you that like literally in Christ, no situation is beyond repair. (sighs) Absolutely. Yeah, they are such a great representation of that. And she even said something that I've just found to be true in my own story about keeping your heart soft. Mm. And you guys talked about that a little bit. And, um, it was even recently I sort of went through my own conviction. You know, we've been in recovery for three years and, um, he's done amazing with his recovery and worked so hard. And I mean, we both have, and just been super intentional, but even in all of that, I've found it can really be easy, easy, um, especially after a betrayal like this to still overcorrect yeah. and mm-hmm. find yourself back in a place with walls that maybe doesn't actually need walls. Right. And, right. Yeah. um, it was almost as if, And really, I think only God could reveal this to me the way that he did that day. But like I was using the affair as my trump card um, to my husband and in a lot of situations. And I've seen this um, happen. It's easy for all of us to just really use our biggest tragedy as our trump card Mm. and hang on to that. And it's such a hard thing to surrender because I think when doing that, it feels like it's not, it's like it's invalidating it or something. And that's not. Yeah, actually you, the case. You find people as well, I can't trust because of this, or I can't move forward, mm-hmm. or I can't do X, Y, and Z because of this thing that I experienced. And mm-hmm. it becomes this defining thing for them. Yes. When yeah. God wants it to be a, a refining thing for us, to transform mm-hmm. us more into the image of who he is. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, and wow. just we we end up being more hard-hearted and mm-hmm and stuck, less flexible, less free, less, you know, and then it's harder to thrive. It's hard to have a marriage. You can't have a marriage with walls Mm -hmm. ultimately. So if we're both saying we both want this, um, and I thought I was doing everything possible, those can really be under the radar and realize, okay, I actually have a harder heart right now than I thought I did. So yeah, I relate to so much of that. I'm so glad, like, uh, just to even have the humility to recognize that inside of yourself and go, oh, you know what? I need to soften my heart, soften my heart. And that's a daily battle for all of us, you know, for us to it just really say. It really is. I mean, only, only God. I think if one of my friends would have said that, I don't know. I don't know. Or God or yeah. uh, my counselor or something. It, right. I'm sure they were like, uh. You'd be like. Because <sighs> honestly, when you have a giant tragedy and you probably have experienced this, mm-hmm. Davey, everyone is like, Oh, if you're bitter, I totally understand. Yeah, right. Oh, if right. you're like this, I totally understand. And right. it is hard to challenge that in somebody mm. um, because it's such a timing thing. It's good. But yeah, so wow, only God so good. could probably really reveal that the way that he did. 
Yeah, that's so good. Well, we're going to do the second part of this interview. Uh, We're going to release it on Monday, so you're going to want to make sure you listen to that. I also want to, before we listen to a little clip from that second part of our interview with Jeff and Cheryl, I want to make sure that we thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music uh, for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Um, If you're having trouble with a hardened heart, go listen to his music. It will soften your heart. Oh, it sure will. Pretty quick. It gets right to the feels, I'm telling Mm -hmm. you. And so uh, thank you, Ryan. Sleeping at last, go listen to his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded or streamed. And uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to this clip from part two of my interview with Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. We have twin daughters. So there were remnants of things because they were hurt in this whole thing. Mm. And there were, there was pain for them. Like, you know, they were super happy. I mean, it was really incredible for them, but there were things in their little hearts and at 11 and 12 years old, they didn't really know how to process. But as they got into their, you know, later junior high and high school years, even college, they started to realize, wow, I'm, I was a little hurt too. I had to go back and forth to dad and mom's house, even though dad and mom were great parents, you know, we had to do that. And that, we didn't really like that, that, that much. And then of course, when they were little, you know, in elementary school, a big deal would be if one shirt was at dad's and the pants were at mom's, I mean, things like that, but they had to process some of this hurt. And, you know, there was some uh, resentment, in them and especially towards me, of course. Um, And so that was really tough. And I think, you know, for me, a big thing that I carried into this whole thing was um, the insecurity of the resentment that all three of them had towards me 